The past week and a half, almost on a daily basis, I have had people contact me wondering what to do in regards to their children, themselves, uh, being threatened to be forced to get the vaccination. And as a result of that, I did put together a three-part series. And if you want that, I can email it to you. It is on Patreon um, and up and going. What I did is then I thought I want to, for people to be able to share that. And so if you have the Patreon account, I made it public so that you could share it with people. If you don't have the Patreon, I went to put it on YouTube and it was immediately taken down, all three of them. That, yeah, surprise, surprise. Now, guys, I, I want you to know something, and this is something that is, again, just two brain cells holding hands. I ought to tell you something's wrong when you cannot speak against this. If you go and do a Google search for any of the people that, of these doctors or uh, things like the frontline doctors, things like that, you'll find this has been debunked and this is debunked and this guy's crazy and that guy's crazy. You will not find truth on Google. Do not search for answers on Google. You have to use another search engine, like DuckDuckGo. Okay, there are others out there, but if you search on Google, not only are they scrubbing things and not allowing information to get out, they're taking the information that is out there and twisting it to make it look like they're crazy or it's been debunked. Don't take my word for it. Do a search. Compare it and you'll see. So <clears throat> these, this three-part series, since YouTube took it down immediately, I opened up a Rumble account. And so I can email that to you, or I don't know if you just go to Rumble, I don't know what it looks like on your end, but I can either email you the links, and you can watch them, and then you can pass that along to friends and family and whatnot. But I think it's something that you need to hear. I myself have a number of family members as well who are about to lose their jobs and willing to do so because of the vaccination. Now, I also feel a need to say if you know people who have been vaccinated, if you've been vaccinated, I'm not trying to freak you out here, okay? We still put our trust in the Lord. The answer is not in whether you get the vaccination, don't get the vaccination, been forced to get the vaccination. That's not the answer. That's not the issue here. I believe, okay, I, I have family members who have been vaccinated. And I'm okay with that. Because I know God will be there for them. Not everybody who gets the vaccination is going to die. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I am saying there's a lot of health issues with this. And I am saying there's something wrong. There's a reason that this is being forced. I don't, need, I don't have all the answers. We can only speculate, and I'm not here to do that right now. But I also know that when Paul was gathering sticks and he picks up a, a viper and the viper latches onto him, 
that all scientific logical reason would say Paul should be dead and that's what all the islanders thought too but it had no ill effect on him because God was with him so I do not want to remove the God factor in some of this where I know some people who have taken this out of whatever reasons and in many cases ignorance because all they know is what's on TV what their doctors are telling them I'm not judging them and I'm not even worried for them but when we know the truth we are going to be held responsible for that truth now I'm just going to give you a, a five-minute thing today Daniel Joseph had shown some things and I just want to show you just some of the video clips without too much of the spiritual and encourage you to go watch his message very good but I'm telling you it is time to choose this day whom you will follow and say we have got to start preparing ourselves spiritually because things are moving and you're probably not hearing a lot about this if all you see is Fox News, NBC, ABC and go about your life. You probably aren't even aware of how bad things are getting. Truth matters as I said and this vaccine is just one example of that. Not being able to Google truth is just one example of this. And as we get into Paul's words again, kind of doing part two of what we did last week, it's the same thing. Truth matters. You can't find the truth on Google. I'm going to suggest to you that you cannot find the biblical truth in mainstream Christianity anymore today. It has been so scrubbed of truth, rewritten to their own desires and hopes and beliefs, their own worldview, that I think we all have to take a step back and say, what is scripture saying? Forget what we've learned all our lives. Forget what our church has taught us. Forget even what Brian is saying. Brian doesn't matter. And as a matter of fact, as you go to the Word to check it out, and you find out Brian's wrong, I want to hear about it. Okay, Because I'm not beyond making mistakes. Matter of fact, this last week I had to correct a big mistake on all these videos I've been putting out on the science. Somebody said it was really New Age. He said that nature is God. And I'm like, I wouldn't say that. And I go back to this video, and I said that. Now, I know what I was thinking. I was trying to say that you can see God's qualities in nature. But whatever I was thinking did not come out. And I was like appalled. I'm like, holy cow, i got to get that off now. And so I know I'm not beyond making mistakes. And so when I say those things, I expect you to come and challenge me. I will not take offense to it. I will welcome that. But let me just show you just some of the things here that have been going on in the news in regards to this vaccine um, because it shows you a little bit of where we're headed in this country. So watch this. 
there are new concerns about a possible resurgence of COVID-19. This is due to a massive number of unvaccinated people in certain parts of the country. What's your message to platforms like Facebook? They're killing people. I mean, it really, look, the only pandemic we have is among the unvaccinated. The new cases in COVID are because of unvaccinated folks. Almost 100% of the new hospitalizations are with unvaccinated folks. And the deaths are certainly occurring with unvaccinated folks. These folks are choosing a horrible lifestyle of self-inflicted pain. Besides, you know, this emotional pain you just gave us, what is it going to take to get people to get shots? I don't know. You tell me. Folks supposed to have common sense. It's time for you to start blaming the unvaccinated folks, not the regular folks. It's the unvaccinated folks that are letting us stay. There is a clear message that is coming through. This is becoming a pandemic of the unvaccinated. We are seeing outbreaks of cases in parts of the country that have low vaccination coverage because unvaccinated people are at risk. And communities that are fully vaccinated are generally faring well. They are absolutely coming. Look at headlines like this. Check this out. Dear unvaxxed federal employees, find a new job or prepare to be oppressed at work. Prepare. In other words, if you don't do what we say, we're going to make you pay. If you don't yield to this vaccination, it's going to be very hard for you. We're going to make it so difficult. You're not going to have all those privileges that you used to have. You're going to be ostracized. You'll be mocked. You'll be separated from the vaccinated. We'll slap a mask on your face. You're not going to be able to go to certain areas because you're unvaccinated. You may not be able to go to grocery stores very soon. Fly. Do all those sorts of travel. Enter federal government buildings. Or even perhaps even receive government funds if you're one of those on some government program. All of this stuff is being talked about right now. I mean, we're dealing with end of the world type stuff. Look at this. Headline reads, time to penalize those who won't get vaccinated against COVID-19. See, they're done playing. That time, they, you know, it's, it's the proverbial, they, they've been dangling the carrot on the stick for so long, the carrot's not working, so they're gonna use the stick. And they're gonna use it well. Why? Because you're a biological threat to humanity if you're not going to get vaccinated. You know, what scares me about this is this type of behavior has existed in history. We've seen this before. It is eerie. And what am I talking about? I'm talking this is what Hitler did. This is what the Third Reich did. Do you remember what they did? Through science. It was science that led the charge for Jews to be put in the gas chamber to be led to Auschwitz, to be put in the ghetto. It was science that showed, oh, the Jews are subhuman. And they're a biological threat to the Germans. They need to be exterminated. How in the world, I mean, even today, I went through the Holocaust Museum, and I literally, I, I spent all day in the Holocaust Museum. And one of the coolest things that you'll experience when you get there is it's story after story after story. Entire sections dedicated to the propaganda of Nazism rising up. How did so, this atrocity happen? 
How could something so diabolical take? How could so many Germans be taken? Open up your eyes. Today, what's going on? Open up your eyes and see what's going on. You know, it, it's interesting. You got to pay attention to the headlines that are coming out. And this one wasn't too long ago. NBC Sports. Look at the headline. Buccaneers say they're using wristbands for vaccinated players. Yellow for unvaccinated. That's just a really bizarre coincidence. Do you understand? Back in the day in Nazism, they slapped a yellow band on the Jews. And of course, the Nazis, who were free to roam in society, free to partake, free to travel, free to own businesses, yeah, they had the red band. Now, again, maybe that's just a really bizarre coincidence. Well, let's look at some other headlines. Fauci warns there may see, soon be two Americas as divide widens, not between Democrat and Republican, between conservative or liberal. He is, he is literally saying two Americas is coming, and it's going to be between the vaccinated and unvaccinated. Again, I tell you, I saw that very attribute rise in Nazi Germany, where they separated through science the Jews from the rest of society. You cannot make this stuff up that we're actually seeing right now. And, and let me take this statement that you need to take extremely seriously. Because right now the CDC has released a report. And I got it this week. And in that report it talks about creating, literally, operating concentration camps. And that's the term used, by the way, camps. Not making this up. Check this out. This is a headline news report on this. CDC announces COVID internment camps for every U.S. city will separate families. A plan published by the CDC calls for nationwide COVID concentration camps to be operated at the camp sector level, which will be populated by individuals designated high risk who are forcibly ripped from their families and homes to be imprisoned by the CDC. Now, you think about this. The inhumanity of it to begin with. Okay, so, so who is high risk? That's the interesting part. They'll be doing the defining of who's high risk. The elderly, maybe with some comorbidities. Grandma, grandpa living with their children. Their children are taking care of them. They love mom and dad. Well, I'm sorry. Grandma, grandpa's got comorbidities. We're taking them out. We're going to rip you apart from your families. Maybe disabled. Maybe you have some disabled. Maybe you have people that are immune compromised. We're coming to get them. They're high risk. But this is the one you really want to pay attention to. And by the way, you know, some of the, what I just said, you know, when the Nazis did what they did to the Jews, they took the disabled with them. You not remember this stuff? Those, those who we would call today high risk. Well, now here's the thing. You'll notice headlines coming out from, for example, like CNN. And do you know what they're saying? They're saying the unvaccinated or high risk. Terminology is already coming up. They're laying the platform. Pay attention. And these things are happening. We go to this. Among other whores, the CDC document openly calls for separating couples and families, then admits, and they do. I, I've read the paper. They admit this action will cause extreme psychological trauma among Americans who are targeted and ripped from their homes to be placed in COVID concentration camps. 
I wish I could stand here and tell you, you know what, sometime in the future this could possibly happen. This stuff's unfolding right now. I don't have the luxury to tell you that anymore. How are they going to get there? Do you know that National Guard is actually uh, recruiting right now for internment relocation specialists? Right now. You know what a relocation specialist? Go back, study Lenin. Study communism. Study Nazism. The Jews were relocated. But they're looking to fill these positions. But again, you know, this is... You know, it's, you know when you go back to World War II, the Jews could not wrap their head around... The many of the Jews stayed because they thought it would be fine. They didn't give in to all the conspiracy theories. They didn't get too worked up about it. This too shall pass. The same environment is happening right now. And then you got things like this. Check this out. Ours, anonymous unvaccinated reporting system. You can find this online. Welcome to the future. Earn extra cash, report unvaccinated family, friends, and neighbors anonymously online. Every name you submit gives you a chance to win 2,500 in our monthly sweepstakes. And I'm not trying to scare you. I know maybe it might sound that way. My wife and I kind of had a talk about this afterwards. She does not like watching this. But I can't say I do either. But yet I'm at peace with all of this. He's going to go on and challenge you to say, are you ready? When Peter was warned that things were going to go on, bad things were happening, what did he say? Lord, I am ready to go to prison, to even die with you. And then when it hit, he was a little shocked at his response, but nonetheless, we need to have that same fervor and trust the Lord to get us through it if and when things come in our day. I believe that one of the ways we do that is by getting into the Word and obeying it. Last week we talked about Paul's words and did Paul's words disagree with the words of Jesus? And we showed you, or we began to show you, no, they didn't. And one of the favorite verses was the one where it talked about that Jesus will manifest himself to those who obey. Right now, we need a manifestation of God more than ever. And that means we can't just play church any longer. We can't just live as if we are here to just do time and wait for the Lord to come back. We are here with a purpose. We are here with a mission. And that mission is to go share the gospel with people. Now it is going to be very easy, and I've seen this happen, for us to take all of this bad news and get distracted and rather than go out and share the gospel with people we're trying to find ways to prepare people for the physical to save them from the physical now I'm not saying we can't do some of those things it's like Proverbs 18 said I think it was 18 where it says a wise man sees trouble and takes refuge but the foolish man 
keeps going and suffers for it. We are to prepare, but in your preparation you must not forget that there's a purpose for all of this. And that purpose is to bring people to Christ. And I think even to wake up the church and say, oh yeah, I've been living my life for me. I've been living my life for the comforts of this world. I've been making all kinds of plans to build a kingdom here when in fact I was supposed to be working for the Lord. He's our boss. I'm not the boss. And so don't lose sight of our mission statement. To go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And I hope that this does cause us to wake up and maybe realize, okay, yeah, there are more important things in life than the plans that I've had. So let's get into this and pick up kind of where we left off last week. We're going to get into Romans 2. We're going to look at a lot of Romans this week. And just kind of show you that the law of God is still important. Don't let modern day Christianity scrub the truth away. So that we don't see it anymore. That our world view is skewed by the propaganda of cheap grace. It says, for as many as have sinned without law, that means the Gentiles, they were the ones without the law, will also perish without law. In other words, they didn't have the law, they're still going to perish, even without the law, because the law is going to condemn them anyway, whether they have it or not. It's there. Truth is truth, whether you believe that truth is there or not. When we'd evangelize, I would always out on the street tell people that all the time. I say, you go jump off of a building. Ray Comfort would talk about it. You go jump off of a building and you say, I don't believe in gravity. I don't believe, I don't believe in gravity. I don't believe in gravity. Doesn't matter what you believe. Truth of gravity is going to kill you. The truth of the law will condemn you whether you believe you're under it or not. Without Yeshua, you're condemned. And it says, as it goes on, and as many as have sinned in the law, those are the Jews, will be judged by the law. So, they have the law, they sin in the law, they too are going to be judged by the law. So whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, guess what? You're going to be judged by the law. For the hearers of the law are just, in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, in other words, they obey it even though they don't think they're under it, all these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves. I kind of look at that as my parents. They didn't understand the things that I'm teaching you here. They grew up in the church. They grew up in, in modern-day Christianity. 
But let me tell you, they loved Jesus with their whole hearts. And even though they did not have the law, they kept the law. They were good, moral people. They lived for Jesus. They were a law for themselves. And they were justified by Jesus. And we're going to see that as we continue here. But notice that what there, that you can't read in blue again, I forgot to change these colors, is the standard for sin, the standard for sin is the, the Torah, the, the law of God. So if you sin and you don't have the Torah, the law, you're going to still die according to those standards. Now notice again, the doers of the law are righteous, not just those who hear it. So in other words, the Jews don't get a pass just because you're a Jew. Just because you're a Jew and you're not keeping, you don't know Jesus, you will still perish under the law because even though they do their best to try and keep it, they still fail. And without Jesus to cover them, they're in trouble. So this is not, well, we'll get to that. But my point is, is what Paul said here in alignment with what Jesus taught? Absolutely. He's not teaching anything different here than what Jesus taught. Yet today, modern religion says that you can believe something, but then go on and live your life the way you want to live it. Do what you want. Make up your own rules. You know, well, I think this and I think that. No. God's Word defines what truth is. Not what you've grown up with, not what you desire, not what you want. So, <clears throat> instead we have a, <coughs> excuse me, a doctrine of convenience that keeps money coming into the coffers. That's all it is. We don't preach truth because truth will be offensive and offensive does not bring in money. Let me tell you, the law of God, Torah, is not too difficult if you have the Spirit of God in you. If you're going to live by the flesh, yes, it is too difficult. And we kind of talked about that last week. We'll talk a little bit more this week about that. James 2.9, it says basically the same thing. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. The law still condemns us because everybody, Jew or Gentile, is under the law. So if we sin, we perish unless Yeshua is there to take the punishment for us. Unless Yeshua is there to be able to fulfill what we could not do. That's the key. I should do a teaching on this someday, but it's just kind of popping in my mind right now. In Matthew, it's kind of interesting when we see that Joseph and Mary were in Egypt when they ran away from Herod. It says, and so was fulfilled what was written, and out of Egypt I called my son. And so you think, oh, that's talking about Jesus. It was written in the Old Testament that out of Egypt they would call Jesus God's son. Go look, I believe that comes out of Hosea, you'll see in the footnote where it comes from. And you go back and you look at that verse in the Old Testament and it says this, out of Egypt I called Israel. Why? 
for the same reason what I'm just talking about. When Jesus came, he came to fulfill the destiny of Israel. Israel, when they went into the promised land, they were supposed to cast out demons, get, get rid of all the ungodly, destroy them all. They didn't. Instead, they chose to make peace with them. They chose to, to kind of ally with them, to trade with them, to make it more comfortable and easy. They chose not to go to war. They chose to tolerate the ungodliness. And then what happens? They get compromised. They get contaminated. And then they end up falling away. Yes, it point blank said it. They will, uh, I don't remember what the word was, but basically you will be influenced by them. Yeah, yeah it, does, it does say that, point blank. Well, where Israel failed when they were going into the promised land to do that, Jesus does. One of the first things and the thing that's talked about so much in the New Testament is he casts out demons. He says, get out of here. You're not supposed to be here. Remember in Exodus as well, it says that if you obey me, then I will not send all the diseases that I sent upon the Egyptians. But what happens? They fail to obey him, so all these diseases come. Leprosy, all of that. So when Jesus comes, what's he do? He heals the diseases, cures them. In other words, when it says, out of Egypt I called my son, we see that Jesus is fulfilling the destiny of Israel, what they were called to do, belonged to do, yet failed to do. I believe the same is true for us today. What God has called us to do, Yeshua has come to fulfill it for you. But it doesn't mean now that you don't get and walk alongside him and do what he's called you to do. In the flesh, you will fail. Promise you that. But now, the thing that we have that the Old Testament saints did not, is we have that helper, the Spirit of God, so that we no longer live in the flesh, but we live in the Spirit. And in so doing, now, we can do what He's told us to do. You can do it. And when you fail, He did it for you. Because he has fulfilled your destiny. Hallelujah. Praise Yah. Praise God, right? So, going back to Romans, just keeping the context there in 12 through 14, but we're going to pick up on verse 15. It goes on, They are a law to themselves who show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. A lot of law in there in that gospel, isn't there? But notice that he put the law in our hearts. We talked about that when we went through Hebrews. God never got rid of the law. He simply changed the location from stone to writing it on your hearts. And that law will bear witness against you. Maybe some of you have felt that pricking of the, the, the conscience. That's because the law 
is in you. This is why Ray Comfort says, there's no such thing as an atheist. Because God has put that law in their hearts to know there is a God. So, what we do defines what we believe. It's easy for us today to say, well, what I believe defines what we do. I kind of think it's almost the opposite. I know it kind of goes hand in hand, but we, we mentioned this last week. Guys, if you truly believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will respond to it, and you are going to want to do what pleases the Lord. It's one thing to say you believe, it's another to do it. It's one thing to say you believe God is going to rescue you and deliver you, that He will be with you through the trials and temptations that are going to come upon this earth. It's another thing to walk in that belief. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went through the fire, but guess what? God was right there with them, wasn't He? Do you believe that God is going to be there as we go through trials and tribulations? It's one thing to say it. Yeah, 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 I believe it. It's another to say, I quit my job. I trust that God's going to provide. What we do defines what we believe. And that's why we cannot just be a hearer of the word, but a doer of it. Otherwise, it's just a man-made religious doctrine of convenience. But again, this cannot be done by living in the flesh. It has to be done by living in the spirit. I forget the question marks here. For what I do is not the good I want to do, Paul says in Romans chapter 7, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. See guys, nothing good lives in the flesh. When I say choose this day whom you're going to follow, you cannot be thinking in the flesh. You can't be worried about the flesh. You can't be worried about your job. You can't be worried about your health, scared of COVID. Guys, uh, at River Church right now, there are some people who need prayers who are very sick. This, this COVID thing is as real as it can get. I'm not saying it's not real. It's real. But you cannot fear that. If that's all it takes is for us, you know, to be fearful of a virus, what are you going to do when it's a gun? What are you going to do when it is your job? What are, what are you going to do when it is a concentration camp? What we do defines what we believe. And I'll bet all of us sitting here right now are challenged by that, myself included. And I'm not saying that I don't have fear and worry. What I'm saying is 
is I have confidence and I'm going to act right now and speak right now and believe right now as Peter did. Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready to go to jail. I'm ready to go to prison. And maybe when that time comes, I'm going to have, I don't know a moment. I don't know. I pray that I don't. But right now, I'm going to be preparing for that by praying, Lord, don't let me have that denial moment. Let me stand strong. And by your grace and by living in the Spirit, I know I can. But by the flesh, I can't. Now, by the way, Peter didn't have the Spirit at that time. We do. So when I say we need to be preparing, that's what I'm talking about. Don't run from this. Run to God and start preparing and saying, Lord, I see a weakness in me. I don't want to ignore it. I don't want to pretend it's not there. I want to have this drive me to you. We see that Paul here is saying the law is good. Law is good. I, the law has been abolished. It's really, you know, the law is gone. I'm no longer under the law. This is what we hear all the time. But Paul wants to obey. That's what he wants to do. But there's a battle in his flesh. The good that I want to do, I cannot do, but that which I hate, I keep on doing. And he goes on to say even, who can rescue me from this body of death? The flesh. Who can rescue me from this flesh? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You're going to have those moments. It's okay when we fail. It's okay to have those moments of worry and doubt. Just don't stay there. Don't dwell there. Because God is going to rescue you from your flesh. Verse 18 says, For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, not the Spirit, nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me. In other words, I want to do it. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. All of us have this struggle. And when we realize what he does here, like I said in verse 24 coming up, he is going to say, who can rescue him from this body of flesh? But notice he says he delights in the law of God. How many churches can you go to today and say, I delight in God's law, where you're not going to be looked at a little bit cross-eyed? That's what Paul said. Verse 23, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members, the flesh. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Again, the body, the flesh. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh 
the law of sin. You see, there's two things. There's the law of sin, and there's the law of God, the law of Christ. As I said before, it's such a strange thing, because two people doing the exact same law, one it's sin and one it's not. For one person to keep the Sabbath, it might be sin for them. For another person keeping the Sabbath, it's a great thing and a blessing. Why? Because of the motivation and understanding of it in their heart. One man does it in the flesh to try and please God, to try and be a good Christian, to be better than other Christians, whatever the case might be. Let me tell you, that'll burn. But another man does it because he has a desire to be with God, a desire to keep the commandments of God. And just as we said before, if my wife wants to be loved a certain way, then I should love her that way. If God wants to be loved this way, he says, this is what you know, I enjoy, this is what I want you to do, we should do it. Not so that you can be a better Christian, better than somebody else who's not doing it. Not because now you're getting some notch you know, up in heaven so that you're going to be a better Christian up there. That's wrong. You do it simply because you love God and He tells you to do it. Because you delight in God's law. Same exact thing, just different motivation, a different understanding. And that is why I am freer now trying to keep the commandments of God than I ever was when I tried not to keep the commandments of God. It's weird. The speed limit. If it's 60 miles per hour on the highway, a lot of people have no problem going 70 miles per hour. It's just the law. It's like it's a law on stone. But if it's in a school zone where it's 25 and the kids are out crossing the road, now all of a sudden that law that's a good thing because it's dangerous to have somebody going 45 with all those kids around. That we serve because we know it's good. It's not like it's a law of stone. It's a law on our hearts. We want to protect those kids. I don't know if that... But we serve the law because we know it's good. I also think we have a, a culture of me in that we're all equal, we all deserve it, we all have the same abilities, rights, equality, you know, all of those kind of ideas. Years ago, servanthood was a concept that was understood. We don't have that concept. We're all king in a sense. And it's hard for us to understand what it means to be a servant. So, like I said, there is deliverance from doing what you don't want to do. And that is Jesus. Not from the law are you delivered, but from the condemnation of that law you are delivered.
And again, it's that gift of the Spirit that allows you to serve and obey. But without Jesus, there is no deliverance. Chapter 8 of Romans goes on and it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Not Torah. You're not free from Torah. You're free from the condemnation of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. Now, most Christians look at that and say, see that the law is bad, it's done away with, it's weak, now we have Jesus. That's not what this is saying. It's saying that the law was weak in the flesh. How about in the spirit? Is the law weak in the spirit? No. In the flesh, it's impossible to do. It's condemnation. And it is a bad thing. But in the spirit, the law is good. Paul is saying. You see, it was only weak when we live in the flesh. It only condemns you when it's in the flesh. But when it's in the Spirit, that's when you have life. It says, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirements of the law... Notice that. There's a requirement. It wasn't a righteous suggestion. A requirement has to be there. The righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See how important it is for us to believe that Yeshua, you know, believe in Him, that to receive the Holy Spirit so that we can obey? Because we don't live in the flesh. We live in the Spirit. And that's where the blessings come. We flee from sin and death, but not to be free from the law, but to be free from the condemnation of it. So, I think that today we see too often the element of obedience for cheap grace. I've heard so many times in the church that I grew up in, every time I would try to be good, try to keep a commandment of God, what I would hear was, oh, there's nothing you can do, you know, it's by Christ alone you're saved. Yeah, I know that. I'm not trying to be saved by being good. I'm trying to honor God and hallow His name. To make His name holy. To live a life after Him. To live a life in the Spirit, not in the flesh. But today, if you do anything, works-oriented, somehow the message is you, you've fallen from grace. You're a legalist. Many people think that of me but they have no idea. First of all, most don't even come and talk to me to find out what I believe, let alone 
actually study to see what I teach. They might listen to one and go, oh, yep, he's a legalist. Keep listening. Keep searching out the whole of Scripture and see. We see the righteous requirements are met in us who believe in Yeshua. The requirements have been met. So this isn't about requirements. Okay, I'm not teaching you that you have to honor the Sabbath to be saved. I'm teaching you that because you're saved, you should be honoring the Sabbath. That's the difference. Verse 5 goes on, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. You know, this verse, as I was kind of going through this again here yesterday in preparation, it really struck me because those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. How many of us here, myself, is involved in this, included in this, have set our minds on the things of this flesh in the world? Man, I really want to get a new car. Uh, I don't know. Something of the flesh. A new house. For me, it's property where I could just sit on my porch and shoot at a thousand yards. I would love to have some property with rolling hills out in the country and you know all of this. God has given me so much already, but you know the grass is always greener on the other side. Don't set our minds and live according to the things of the flesh. We want to live according to the Spirit. To have things that are storing up for an eternity. Not the temporal things now. It goes on and it says in verse 6, For to be carnally minded minded in the flesh, is death. You'll take nothing with you of all the things that we care about. I've said this before, but it goes well here again. What do you want to be doing 20 years from now? What are your goals? How about 50 years from now? How about 150 years? How about 1,000 years? How about a million years? How about a billion years? How about a trillion years from now? We spend so much time in the carnal mind trying to build a kingdom that is nothing but a blip on life. Just a blip. I have here a thing of beads. This one little red bead is your earthly life right now that you're worried about. And if we're going to spend so much time, money, and energy invested in that one little bead, what about the rest of your life? You see, we're going to have an eternity in that one little bead it means nothing. It 
I want to invest in all of this. I want to invest more than that one little bead. And it's going to keep going on and on and on and on and on and on and on forever. You've got thousands of lifetimes there. We can't be carnally minded. It goes on and it says, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That means even that one little bead is going to be so much better if you're not living in the flesh. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. You're living in the flesh, that's against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not his. It's kind of scary, isn't it? If you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Him. If we're doing nothing but living in the flesh on this world, and that our, all of our hopes and dreams and goals are for things of this world, maybe we need to ask ourselves, am I living in the flesh or am I living in the Spirit? Do I have the Spirit of God? Or am I living for me and this is just a nice fire insurance idea, this Jesus stuff. And maybe that's why I'm not really acting out what I believe. Because I really don't believe it. It's just a nice comfortable binky for me in life. The idea of God and eternal life. It's my little, you know, blanket. My blankie. <clears throat> because that's not what life is about. But notice again that if you live in the flesh, you cannot please God. But if you live in the Spirit, you can. Kind of like the Sabbath as well. <clears throat> we can focus on the seventh day a lot. <coughs> we always forget. Uh, work six days and rest on the Sabbath. Don't forget about the first part of that command. You shall work six days. That goes also along with the seventh day. That... You work six days. Don't be lazy. Anyway, Romans, back to Romans 3. In verse 9, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have been previously charged, both Jews and Greeks or Gentiles, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside, they have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb, with their tongues they have practiced deceit. So, as a Jew, he's saying, are we better than these Gentiles who do not have the law? but are a law for themselves? He says, not at all. It doesn't make you better. But he goes on and he says, there's nobody good. And he keeps quoting Torah, by the way, the Psalms. He keeps quoting Scripture. 
that apparently we don't need to follow anymore. Why would he do that? So, what Scripture is talking about here is just what we talked about, I don't know when, but breaking down that dividing wall of hostility. In, I guess it was in the book of Esther. It seems that, is, that the main theme of Ephesians, Galatians, a big part of Esther, Romans, Acts, is breaking down that wall of hostility between the Greek and the Jew. And showing that the Jew, that the law would not save them. And showing the Greek that without the law of the spirit of life, they would not be saved. And that Jesus is what unites the two together. It goes on here in verse 13. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. This is talking about everybody no one is good. Why? Because of all this. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace they don't know. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Again, simply quoting the Psalms, quoting Isaiah. Verse 19, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. In other words, the Jew. That every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh, Jew or Gentile, but specifically here he's talking to the Jew, will be saved or justified in his sight. For by the law is knowledge of sin. So he's simply building a case against all of these Jews who are trying to be justified by keeping the law. Amen, Paul. Couldn't agree with you more. But somehow modern Christianity has said, this means he got rid of the law. No, he was saying the law is not how you're justified. Do we then nullify the law? Not at all. The law is good. You can't isolate this without taking the context of his, the same man's words in the same book. Jesus is what justifies. And so Paul is not anti-Torah. He's not teaching something that Jesus, you know, Jesus came and taught the Torah and then Paul comes and takes it away. As we said last week, that would be crazy. Paul and Jesus have to be in agreement. There wasn't Jesus coming teaching one message and Paul changes it all. Which is the attitude that many have in churches today. So, not anti-Torah, but anti-Torah justification is what Paul is. Verse 21, now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Wow, isn't that amazing? That there was a righteousness that wouldn't be from the law, but the law was telling you about. 
One of the reasons people have a problem with the law is they don't understand it. They think that the Old Testament is just this legalistic thing, and the New Testament is love, Jesus, peace, kumbaya. No, the law was not all evil and heavy-handed oppression. It was speaking of a righteousness that was to come. Because it says it was revealed or witnessed to this righteousness by the law and the prophets. Just like I said on the road to Emmaus, Jesus reasoned with them and showed them from the law and the prophets those things concerning himself. So if you read the law of God and all you're getting is the physical thou shalt, thou shalt not, you know, don't mix two kinds of seed. Oh, okay, I better not put my, my rice and beans together or whatever. Then you're missing the point. Those things were pointing to a righteousness of the future, to Jesus. So when you read the law in the Old Testament, when you do the festivals, the biblical festivals, you don't look at them as Jewish rituals. You look at them as how do they point to Jesus. And when you do that, then you will see the law of Christ in the Tanakh. That's the difference. Jesus is the center of what the law and the prophets were witnessing too. It says, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. Okay, that means Gentiles. So, a righteousness from God through faith in Jesus for both Jew and Gentile. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He covered that. Being justified freely, not by works, by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation, that's stepping in for us, by his blood through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So, he's not saying that the law is done away with. He's saying the law does not justify. That Jesus was the justifier. Remember, Paul earlier said that the, the law was weak in the flesh. Had no power to make us obey. But now, with the Spirit through the power of Jesus, we have that power and ability to obey not for justification, though. So he's trying to convince the Jews the only way you can be saved is through Yeshua. Amen, Paul. I agree. He's not saying get rid of the law. The whole point is justification by the law. That attitude that we have. Otherwise, think about this, guys. If it's all just a matter of what's in our heart, well, you know, the Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath, you know, that whole example I said, one man can keep it, the other can keep it, and we both do it, but one's right and one's wrong. 
There is something to be said about the attitude of the heart, but you see, we don't get to decide what our heart wants to do. We have to follow the standards of God's commands to decide what that is. Otherwise, I can say, well, you know what? I'm going to go murder somebody because they're ungodly. I think it would be better that they be dead because they're going to spread their evil to their children, to whatever. And I'm going to justify that as being something good and I'm going to do it for the Lord. Would that be sin? Absolutely it would. Why? Because God defines what sin is. Sin is lawlessness, John says. So, I can't just do whatever I want justifying it by, well, I'm a believer and I'm doing this for God. Take the, the festivals as an example. Who gets to decide what's holy and what's not holy? Yeah, God does. The, the Bible, as a matter of fact, do you know that his festivals are called holy convocations? Yeah. Well, almost done here. He goes on and he says, where is boasting then? It's excluded. By what? Law? Of works? No. But by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Again, not saying you don't keep the law, do the law, do the deeds of the law, just saying you don't just, you're not justified by them. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the Jew, the circumcised by faith, and the uncircumcised, the Gentile, through that same faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? He anticipated that people would then say, since you're not justified by the law, you don't need to do the law. So he says, well, then do we get rid of it? Do we make void the law? Certainly not. Absolutely no. On the contrary, quite the opposite. Don't even go there. Stop. We establish the law. We stand up for it. We make it a foundation. We obey it. We follow it. We love it. As he said earlier, right? Yeah, he says, I love the law. But not for justification. So, in verse 31 there, just highlight that. If I believe in Yeshua to say that we don't have to obey the law then, is in direct contradiction to not only Jesus' words, but the rest of Paul's words as well. And yet that is the very thing many teach today. When we obey the law, there still remain blessings and, and joy, life in them. So if Paul did not go against what Jesus said. Who's lying to us? Was Jesus the one that lied? Was Paul the one that lied? Or have we been lied to by modern day Christianity? 
I know that's not a popular thing, but it's what Scripture is pointing out. I'll tell you what, the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, has an easy job with this kind of philosophy that we have built up. A very easy job. And I think that we have contaminated the temple of God because of it. I keep coming back to Acts chapter 15, 21, where in Acts 15 at the Jerusalem Council, he's saying of all the things that we can tell these new Gentile believers coming into the faith, of all the things to tell them, they chose to say things that protected and kept the temple of God holy. They didn't say, make sure you read the Torah. Make sure you get down and pray three times a day. They said, the law, Moses, will be read in the synagogue every Sabbath. So this is all we're going to tell you. Abstain from sexual immorality, because that's going to contaminate your temple. Don't eat blood, because that's going to contaminate the temple. This temple is for Jesus. The Holy Spirit lives in there. You don't want to contaminate it, because when it's contaminated, the Spirit can't be there. Do not eat food strangled, because the blood will remain in it, because that's going to contaminate your temple. Every one of those outside of the sex thing is a food law, just like you go all the way back to Genesis. The very first commandment of God was a food law. Do not eat of this tree. A food law, right from the start. And somehow, we've made this a, an aspect of legalism rather than the spirit of it saying, protect your temple at all costs because this is to be holy. Do not be putting things in your body that will contaminate the temple, especially blood and sexual immorality. That's what Acts 15 is saying. All other sins a man commits are outside of the body, but the sin of sexual immorality is a sin against the body. That's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Huge. So we establish the law, just not for justification. Okay, going to close out here with just a few verses that just showing you the agreement throughout the New Testament. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. The law can be bad, I admit that. If it's for justification, shame on you. James 1.25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, and many today look at that, see, we're free from the law. No, continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. It's right there. If you think that the law of liberty means we're free to do whatever we want, no, it says you're a doer of the law, but you do it with freedom knowing there is no condemnation now, so that when I do what I do not want to do and the evil that I hate I keep on doing, I can say thanks be to God through Jesus Christ that he has rescued me from this body, the flesh, but I no longer live in the flesh, I live in the spirit. Thank you, Jesus. That's what it's saying. This one will be blessed in what he does.
the one who is a doer, not just a hearer, not just a church goer uh, uh, to play house. James 2.11, for he who said do not commit adultery also said don't murder. Now if you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Okay, again, very consistent. He's giving you some of the Ten Commandments, and he says, but speak and do, but as the law of liberty. There's no condemnation, but establish the law. James 4.11, he who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. You're breaking the law. Don't go against the law, but if you judge... The law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Don't judge the law. Tell me what's right and wrong. Let God be the judge of the law. Let him decide what's right and wrong. Don't judge the law and don't judge your brother by your own standards. Titus 2.14, He who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed... Again, the condemnation, he's the justifier, and purify for himself his own special people. Zealous for whatever kind of works you decide are good. No, zealous for good works. What is good? God defines that. Sin is lawlessness. Therefore, not sin is law. God's word decides, how do you know what to do that is good if you've gotten rid of the law? And, well, no, Jesus got rid of the law. Now we just go love people. Well, then what makes the difference, then, between loving the homosexual and saying, I accept your lifestyle, and loving the homosexual and saying, you're on a path to hell because you are rejecting the law of God? You see, we re redefined what love is. Philippians, concerning zeal, Paul's talking of himself, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. I kept it all, he said. And he be found in him not having my own righteousness which is from the law, not being justified by the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. I kept the law to a T, but that didn't justify me either. I still needed faith in Jesus, because without that I'd have been doomed. The righteousness which is from God by faith. 1 Corinthians 9.8, Do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law say the same also? Whatever Paul taught was in agreement with the law. 1 Corinthians 9.9, For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Again, like what we were saying before, Paul, first of all, is quoting the law as if it's a good thing, but he gives them the spirit of that law, showing it wasn't about the oxen. He didn't give you that command because it was about oxen. He gave you that command because it's a picture of those who work for the Lord. It wasn't just oxen he was concerned about. This had a deeper spiritual meaning for you. So the law is good when you understand it 
properly. Last slide. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Here in 1 Corinthians 14, he's quoting the law as if it's a good thing. 1 Corinthians 14, 34, Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. Good thing this isn't a church. Point being is, he is quoting the law of God. And he sees it as a good thing. So Jesus and Paul were not at odds. They don't have different messages. They are the same message. It's just giving you a proper understanding of it. The law is good as long as one uses it properly. So, with that, we're going to close out. Uh, we will do Galatians is what we're going to start next week. So, uh, again, this is one of those books that modern-day Christianity has tried to use to say Paul said something different than Jesus. You're going to see that's not the case as we take the context of Galatians rather than isolating a verse or two here and there. So, all right, we'll close in prayer. and. Heavenly Father, we just thank you again for the law of God. Lord, we delight in the law of God, and we just um, ask that you would teach us your word and your law, that we might know you, that we might continue to find favor with you in Jesus Christ, that you might manifest yourself to us as we draw closer to you and understand you, the word of God, in a deeper way as it was, as it was meant to be. That from the very beginning, you chose us. From the very beginning, you had a plan in place. Lord, may we begin to understand that plan more and more as we begin to come upon a, a, a time of celebration here, a time of, of the fall festivals, a picture of your second coming. May we continue to have our hearts pricked, our consciences um, just stricken by the things in our life that need to be removed, to have that dross taken away and that we might see and understand the holiness of your word in the old and in the new. In the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, we pray, amen. <laughs>